Hello and welcome to the KPMG Cyber Podcast, the show that dives into cybersecurity topics in a time where data is at the heart of our society. I'm your host, Henrik Smit, and today we are talking about digital identities and securing the cloud. We'll discuss the ins and outs of modern identity and access management and how it helps to secure your data. Be sure to listen all the way through as we offer you a special surprise at the end. Today we have two guests in the studio, Michiel van Veen, director at KPMG and specialized in cyber offense, and Chris Owen, director of product management at Savient. Hey guys, thank you so much for uh, joining us. Hi. Hi, Henrik. So let's dive right into it, right? Uh, Michiel, a lot of data today is flowing into the cloud and uh, often there's a limited governance. We see this all the time with our clients and where does this go wrong? Can you talk with us a little bit through what's the role that digital identities play in the hacks, for instance, that you uh, come across and the data breaches that we see happening in the industry? Yeah, so I can. So uh, uh, obviously uh, digital identities play an uh, important role when it comes to to hacks. Uh, So what you see is hackers attempting basically break into uh, IT environments. While in the past, um, those IT environments would be protected, if you would like, um, as a, as a castle with castle walls and you know all the crown jewels, as we we'll call them, um, would be on the inside, right? So it would be basically clear to know what to protect and where to look for hackers. But nowadays, the data actually sits in uh, what we call the cloud. Um, so basically, it's it's not it's not in the castle anymore. It's outside of the castle, right? So basically, anyone uh, with access to the outside, which is everyone, uh, will be able to um, to try to access the data, and that's basically where digital identities come into play. More importantly than they were in the past, where it's very important to know who uh, and uh, what and why uh, that access is is being being done. And cyber criminals basically. Um, yeah, hijack that or impersonate digital identities and, and say, you know, we, uh, we try to steal those identities and uh, impersonate um, the actual owner uh, of the data and try to access that and break into that. Yeah. And, and would you say that there's a link between the move to the cloud and the enormous increase of ransomware that we see today? Yeah, so if you look at statistics, uh, back in 2019, um, breaches in the cloud were uh, very limited compared to uh, what we call on-premise breaches, so traditional breaches of uh, of data centers and IT environments uh, of organizations. Mm-hmm. Um, but now you see moving to the cloud, but it it uh, it got a another rush of uh, of uh, of moving more and more towards the cloud and in the statistics of 2020 you see that uh almost uh 75% of the known breaches that have occurred are actually in the cloud uh, domain and not so much on premise anymore and of course that's due to the fact that organizations have moved towards the cloud but it's also due to the fact that cloud security is something that's uh, it's relatively new and a bit more complex and requires a bit more different approach towards uh, the management of identities and access uh, of the data therein. And because it's newer than what we're used to, you see people make more mistakes um, and they try to approach uh, IT and data in the cloud as being on-premise data, 
which is uh, which 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 is basically wrong. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's a, it's a mistake. It's a mistake. So, uh, and and mistakes is where cyber uh, criminals come into play. Hey, and, uh, when we think about the cloud, we all, all yeah, we can think about technology and and all that stuff that is around the cloud and. Basically, when it comes to cybersecurity, a lot of focus is on cutting-edge uh, technology. Um, but Chris, what about the people side? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think the people side is just as important as technology. You know, in IT, we've always learned people process technology as a methodology. Right. Um, but it, humans, by nature, are very trusting. And, um, you know, we have this whole movement at the moment around zero trust, which is never trust, always verify. And and really, that looks at not only the technology elements, but the human elements. And if we look at a lot of the breaches that occur, you know, throughout history, whenever you read up about them, there's always an element of trust, whether it be a phishing attack, ransomware, malware, etc. There's so many examples where trust plays a part. And it's innate within our human conditioning to trust. If somebody tells us something, we're going to automatically believe them. And it's exactly the same with devices and security and how that works. I call it the psychology of trust. Um, I, really, and ultimately, I really like that phrase. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's really our our conditioning as humans to uh -huh. trust whatever somebody says. And, you know, you'll see it in a lot of hacks where people put, you know, emphasis or urgency on you doing something and they'll make it sound compelling. Like you really need to comply at this moment now or something bad will happen. And automatically in our brains, we're thinking, oh, I need to click on this now because, you know, we'll get a fine or something will happen <laughs> if I don't get this report or data or my bank details over to somebody. Uh -huh. um, it's the nature of how humans work. And I think it plays a huge, huge part in cybersecurity now. I think Zero Trust looks to address that. But as you mentioned, Henrik, you know, we focused a lot on cutting edge technology, not so much on the human side. And I think we need to take a few steps back and look at the human element as well. True, true. Hey, Michiel, uh, what's your uh, what's your take on this? Yeah, so I fully, uh, fully uh, concur with Chris, right? So. If you look at uh, the way that cyber criminals act today, um, they, they fully go for uh, trying to persuade people to do things that they weren't planned to do. And they, they actually, uh, they use the, the trust effect to that, um, uh, like Chris said. So, uh, of course, they will come uh, with schemes uh, and stories that are both uh, urgent and important. And once something is urgent and important, people have the tendency to not think, but, you know, trust the message and uh, and then go forward with doing that. And then if they, you know, if they click on things, leave their credentials, um, you know, download software, uh, being malware and whatnot, then for, for hackers, it's, uh, it's very easy to at least persuade one person in an organization provide access towards a hacker um, for the data in uh, in the cloud and because because the whole the the castle example i gave in the beginning is you know doesn't exist anymore i mean basically your organization uh, that you work for is uh, in 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 the pocket uh, it's in yeah. your pocket it's yeah. in your phone um makes 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 that a step closer for cyber criminals to actually uh, to only need to persuade people to click uh, somewhere and um, and basically then have uh, unauthorized access to uh, to data 
So clearly, huh, a lot of things uh, have changed. Chris, uh, what's the major change that you saw over the last five years? Yeah, I think there's been some key things that have happened in the, in the cloud world over the last five years, and more specifically, you know, the last year and a half, actually, through this global pandemic. But, you know, if we look at cloud adoption, there are really key, three key stages that every organization goes through when they're adopting cloud technology. The first phase is always, you know, the traditional lift and shift. So my first foray into cloud technologies, I'm going to take my data center, I'm going to move it into cloud. And we've all been there. We realize that, hey, we don't gain economies of scale by doing that. So then we look to redesign for elasticity as the second phase. Mm -hmm. As we do that, we leverage technologies such as auto scaling so that we get that economies of scale. And now we're in the kind of third phase, which is really, you know, redefining our processes. So adopting DevOps methodologies. But essentially that what's happening is it's turning almost every company into a software company in some ways, you know, as we've gone from traditional operations teams into more of a software-based methodology, we've got a whole bunch of new teams that have access to ultimately what is our entire data centers, you know, using a username and password. We have a whole bunch of new tools that can do a whole bunch of things that I don't fully understand because I'm not a developer. But oh. again, that scares the life out of me. And I think now if you look at the way cloud is and where people are, we have had to adopt a whole bunch of new technologies. And the other thing about cloud is everything in the cloud has an identity. We've got identities everywhere and it's not just humans. We've now got non-carbon based entities. We've got policies, machines, services. Each one of those has an identity. Way more as you think, right? Yeah. yeah. Absolutely, yeah. There's a huge proliferation. Um, machines now have identities and we really need to start to look at, at managing these. So from agility towards almost like an exploded world with a lot of identities. Exactly. We call that identity as a perimeter? Yes, identity is the new perimeter. We need to focus on visibility of those identities, understanding them, managing them, governing access to them and certifying them. The other thing is, you know, for me, context is the new perimeter because context is king when it comes to making informed decisions about whether granting, rejecting any form of access requests and things like that. So we need to get smarter at using the security technologies that we have and making more informed decisions using data. Right. And if you say context, what, what does it actually mean? Yeah. So for me, context is, if we look at all the different security tools that we have, vulnerability, UEBA, SIM, mm -hmm. configuration data, we can pull insights from it to make more risk-aware decisions. It's about using all this data that we have in a smarter way. Yeah, so as a summary from the Jericho concept almost towards the identity and context as a perimeter, so a lot of identities. Uh, why is it necessary to, to consolidate all these identities and secure them in the cloud, uh, Michiel? Because I can imagine that at some point um, it becomes impossible to do this manually or to, 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 to use the traditional way of doing, yeah, managing yeah. identities, right? If you imagine our big multinationals and you consider the amount of identities, the amount of basically objects that they have, uh, the inconvenient truth is, uh, if you would ask them what kind of identities do you have, what kind of objects do you have around the globe, 
they would actually uh, not be able to give you an answer. Because once they would be able to give you the answer, the world has already changed. So the whole traditional approach there will not work um, because it's simply too big, too complex, too three-dimensional, if you like. That's kind of scary, right? Uh, yeah, it is. <laughs> I'm used to being scary <laughs> sometimes <laughs> with uh, with my profession of cyber criminals and hackers and what, what they pull off and what they can do, uh -huh. uh, what I see them doing. But um, yeah, it is. But you know, it's it's better to be uh, clear about the inconvenient truth and uh, to do something about it than uh, you know to scare away. So I, I fully concur with uh, with uh, Chris's uh, analysis on that. So large corporates, uh, large multinationals, but probably also the smaller companies, right? It's not just the large corporates. No, not just the large uh, corporates. So the smaller ones. Uh, typically have have you know lesser lesser means of you know strict procedures and strict control measures in place to you know to make sure that even with a, a smaller subset of identities it's it's uh, it's it's manageable and also smaller companies can be you know very agile uh, especially nowadays with uh, you know scale ups agility is very important and I think you know one of the key things that cloud also uh, provides is uh, to be agile right you can change that. Uh, you know, uh, overnight, if you like. Um, and so that agility also adds into the ever-changing landscape of identities, access and whatnot, where it's very difficult to use the, the traditional approach of inventory and analysis rather than, uh, you know, identity governance. Yeah, true. And, and when it comes to identity and access management, it's a phrase that, that actually covers a lot of functions, uh, to be honest, hey, you have like privilege access management, access management, identity governance. When it comes to securing the cloud related to identity and access management, Chris, where are you guys going when it comes to developments in this area? From a strategy point of view, we're seeing a concept that we call convergence taking place. So if you look at what's going on across the industry with the large vendors, we have traditional IGA vendors, so identity governance vendors moving into the privilege space. You have privilege vendors making acquisitions in the identity space and changing the messaging to identity. And really what's happening is IGA privilege is, is coming together. And I, I think that's happening for a for very logical reasons. You know, if we think about our adoption of cloud, where we're going, in effect, every user is becoming a privileged user. Privileged access management used to really mean accounts. You know, we used to worry about vaulting accounts, privileged account management. Right. But really, it's all about the access. The, the other thing, as well as this convergence, is the emergence of new types of technology. So one of the fastest growing areas is what we call SASE. Mm -hmm. um, SASE. And really, this is the combination of multiple different types of technology out there. So zero trust networking, uh, combining with CASB and other services to protect the edge. And again, it's all focused on the access. So I think we'll see more of identity-based vendors working with adjacent markets such as SASE to look at, okay, how do we manage not only machine identities, but identities at the network plane? So I think we'll see a lot of those types of, of things happen within the industry. Yeah, probably also brings a lot of challenges, right? I mean, if you have different maturity levels all over different functions within identity and access management, probably it's going to affect uh, one another, right? If you have a very mature uh, identity governance, uh, but but privilege access management is still, you know, 
poor or non-existing, what do you do then? Where, where do you start? <laughs> yeah, it, it's difficult. And we, we actually see it from both sides because you have a lot of organizations that adopted privilege management in the early days. They went, they put out this big vault infrastructure. They discovered all these accounts, onboarded them, managed them. Like the big banks. That's it. The, the big banks and governments were always first to adopt those type of things. And when you think about what you achieve by doing that, I don't want to put this too dumbly because this is this has been a best practice for years, but essentially you've you've discovered all these accounts and you've put them in a central place, made it easier to get to them. Yeah. You've not reduced the number of accounts, you've not reduced the risk of them. So what what we see happening is this move to just in time. Let's get rid of those credentials. Let's move to a just in time model where we're provisioning access as and when needed. Um, if you look at it from the IGA side, you know, there's a lot of organizations that have very mature but legacy IGA processes that are potentially over-engineered, and that's a complex thing to unravel. As you adopt more cloud technologies, it may be time to look for a SaaS-based IGA and PAM solution. Mm -hmm. Start small. Obviously, working with the likes of yourselves as an expertise kind of advisory firm on that, uh, I think, is, is a no-brainer for organizations as well to take them on that journey. So just in time, eh? and that fascinates me, Michiel, uh, that that obviously is going to make it way harder for you know hackers or people who want to abuse identities. Um, uh, is that right? Well, yes and no. <laughs> so the, the example that, that Chris gave uh, is uh, uh, then storing identities in a central place. You know, from a hacker perspective, that, that would be music to my ears, right? <laughs> That's so interesting. There's, yeah, there's, <laughs> there's one, uh, one place where I can, uh, can find the keys to the kingdom is what we call them. So it, it would help against that to use uh, one-time use accounts. Uh, and then after you've you know, done your work, the account is not valid anymore, the credentials are not valid anymore. So actually stealing that uh, would, would not uh, would not give a, a hacker or cyber criminal access. Uh, instead, you know, you, you would just change your game. So you would tap into a different part of uh, impersonation. So instead of stealing creden credentials and then using them, you would try to impersonate the actual person that has access to this password fault of one-time accounts. So it's, you know, it's attacking the chain is what we call it. Uh, just a little, a few steps early in that uh, access chain. And then I think, you know, uh, also, uh, of course, the, the, the approach of uh, 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 abusing trust of people, the phishing, and these things come into play, but with a little bit of a different angle to it. The human part. The yeah. human part, yeah. yeah. So what would you advise eh, next to, um, uh, I can imagine, eh, so conversions, you want to put all, all the stuff in the same application or SaaS solution, or uh, what, what should be added to avoid uh, the no and turn that into a yes? There's never a silver bullet or a 100% uh, security proof uh, solution to it. Um, so I think it, I mean, it does help going down this route, right? It does increase security changes the game a bit for, for hackers and cyber criminals, but it also puts them into um, executing certain scenarios uh, based on which you can uh, implement uh, detection and response capabilities. Huh? So um, once you secure a lot of, let's say, uh, uh, ways of getting in and limiting the, the schemes and the scenarios that they, they can pull off to break in, uh, if you limit those, it's easier 
to implement effective uh, detection measures. And the other thing uh, with managing identities, uh, what it also brings to the table is to be able, uh, you know, to not so much look at the actual implementation of those accounts, but rather look at the usage of those accounts. Because at the end of the day, you know, it doesn't make, uh, you know, it's, it doesn't matter if a hacker has access to account, it matters uh, what he or she does with that account and which uh, data to access, so. Yeah. Yep. Okay, thanks, well, thanks. Michiel, I was going to yeah. say on that, you know, the first rule of zero trust is multi-factor authentication. So <laughs> how does that play a part here? <laughs> of, of course, multi-factor authentication is, is very handy. Uh, and it, it also adds yet another layer of uh, security. Yeah? So, uh, so you need that one-time password on top of uh, uh, the, the access to the accounts as well. Mm -hmm. It's also a way of implementing that second factor in, in the right way. So uh, if you look at, at the way that hackers and cyber criminals go about multi-factor authentication, you know, they again would add that the people trust element to it in calling people, um, you know, sending people mails which... Uh, looks like they have to enter their second factor uh, generated uh, code into a legitimate website where it's actually the attacker's website and the attacker will use that legi legitimate extra factor in actually logging into uh, to, to their backend set and then basically, yeah, uh, uh, bypassing that that multi-factor uh, that, that was just implemented. So it's a cat and mouse game. Security is about... You know, uh, um, try to you know put measure on top of measure on top of measure and reduce the risk. And being first, right? and being first. Yeah. <laughs> well, I can so, tell you, you're never first when it comes to cyber criminals. Uh, <laughs> uh, okay, thanks for the warning, uh, yeah. Michiel. So, so um, just I wanted to quickly touch upon another topic, mm. right? Move to the cloud, uh, change of uh, the way we handle identities. Also, implicates how we look at. Uh, the controls, the control measures we put in place to actually govern um, uh, identities and access to data, right? So I'm sure that the people who are in audit or risk are now sitting up, right? And uh, <laughs> uh, but just wanted to 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 see because uh, well, we both have experience in auditing, yep. uh, IT auditing uh, from the very start. Identity uh, management, identity governance was part of that. So for both of you, how do we handle these, 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 these changes related to the control of, of identities? From a technology standpoint, we need to make it easier for our clients to utilize the audit data that they, that they gain. So the first thing is visibility. And that really comes down to discovery, uh, tight integration with cloud platforms, to give all this visibility and then the pull-in of configuration data from these security platforms as well so that we give visibility and insight into your configuration stance versus you know PCI control, SOX control, CIS benchmarks and things like that. We need to have full support for things like IoT devices, bots, etc., because they all have an identity as well. And I think then we need to make it easier for you to access these controls. We need to provide all the benchmarks within our tools and an easy way for you to consume them. There's no point in just doing a huge data dump because that's when audit just turns into a tick box exercise or checkbox yeah, exercise. Yeah, that shouldn't be the case, right? No. Um, so it's all about, you know, enabling you to use this data in a smart way that's easy, fast and efficient. And that's what I would say, you know, for us as a vendor side, um, 
it'd be absolutely, you know, interested to hear from Akil on your side, you know, from an audit point of view as well. Yeah. Yeah. So, I, you know, I, I think you're spot on there. Yeah? So um, if you look at the challenges today with IT auditing and, for example, a financial statement audit, right, with access to programs and data is a very important topic. Uh, who has access to the to the financial uh, data and uh, what can they do with it, but also what did they do uh, with that uh, in, in the past year. Um, you know, controlling that access and having uh, assurance over who has access to what, uh, especially in the past, is very important. And what you see is a classic IT approach, whilst um, the IT environment has become so complex. If you look at the financial uh, sector, it becomes very complex um, to actually determine who has access to what and who actually utilized that access, which is when you look at IT auditing, uh, we, we mostly look back. And I think it's, it's, it's necessary um, to have a better uh, insights and more comfort and more assurance, if you like, of the actual access that was um, performed um, in, let's say, uh, for financial statement audit in the past year, so that you can look at actual data of access of identities uh, towards data. I think that's very important and would also change uh, the IT audit approach uh, like that. Chris, how do we improve uh, the audit process and make it a little bit more smart? I can imagine that, uh, that uh, as it becomes more and more complex and, uh, and bigger, there's a need of more efficiency. You know, leveraging technologies such as AI, ML to help improve this process is, is probably one of the greatest buzzwords we're likely to hear over the next kind of two to three years from vendors. Okay, noted. But, <laughs> but what I can say, you know, from, from a vendor perspective is we're, we're all going down a very similar route. You know, we're all looking at ways how to provide better insights into this mass data collection and data lake that we touched on earlier. So one is we have bi-directional integration with third-party security platforms, UEBA, SIM, vulnerability management systems. So we can bring all of this risk insight data into our platform to enable you to make smarter decisions. Now, when it comes to audits, you know, certifications are probably uh, one of the hardest things for most organizations to do. They'll kind of start off with a goal of every three months that'll slip to every six months and then it will become a once yearly thing where somebody just ticks that box because they're like i'm not going to read that list of 10,000 users so we need to look at ways to make that smarter so what we're doing is we're leveraging ai to triage that data and to look at changes in that data since the last certification process we're also using AI to trigger things like event-driven micro-certifications. So if something changes on a user, let's do a micro-certification of them. And when it comes round to your kind of six-month or annual certification process, it makes that so much easier. So we'll mark that as less risky. We'll automatically approve it. Let auditors focus on what the risky events are rather than the kind of menial checkbox. Yeah. Okay, okay, thanks. Well, my takeaway, looking back at this conversation, is when it comes to securing your data, moving from the castle to almost of like treating your identities as a perimeter, pay attention to, uh, to identities when you move to the cloud, right? And uh, be sure to implement smart AI solutions when it comes to auditing your environment. Um, uh, what we haven't touched upon yet is what do we do with the legacy guys uh, as, as a kind of a final, final 
ving. Uh, Michiel? Get, get rid of it. <laughs> well, okay, no, that, that's, a, that's, a, that's an easy one. But, but, but really, yeah, of course, uh, we come across a lot of legacy. And, and, you know, we cannot say goodbye yet to, to legacy mm. applications if we still use them, have contracts or, or any obligations to, uh, to use it, right? Yeah, so I see actually two things. Uh, so one is, uh, of course, try to isolate those uh, those solutions uh, as much as possible. I mean, of course, you know, there's many organizations, especially the bigger ones that have existed for for a longer time, that you know face situations where part of their production process or their administration is based on legacy applications. So of course, having a migration uh, strategy to had to move uh, towards a new uh, platform or a new application environment, or maybe a SaaS solution, if you like. It's isolation, it's, uh, you know, improving also uh, detection measures on uh, the perimeter of the isolation of, of those legacy uh, applications. And and be sure to monitor uh, those because, you know, uh, legacy applications, legacy systems typically suffer from known vulnerabilities. So for hackers and, you know, cyber criminals, uh, that's a that's a, a free lunch, right? Yeah. So so be sure to to have a proper detection and response uh, there with a good isolation and good perimeter security on, on that part. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and Chris, so when it comes to uh, identity governance and uh, well, well, your line of work, what what would you yeah, do no. with the legacy? So the challenge that we have with legacy uh, applications is that typically their clusters disconnected. One thing that we have done is, you know, we came out with the concept of an identity bot. So a robotic process automation tool that essentially can turn a disconnected app into a connected app. Oh, interesting. Um, And what this means is that we're able to support these so-called legacy applications, Mm -hmm. fully govern, manage them and manage the identity lifecycle within them so that we're bringing it fully under control of the platform. Also music to your ears, Michiel. Yeah, sounds good. <laughs> Full control sounds okay. good to me. Right. <laughs> <laughs> it, it was a slightly different message to your isolation, but you know, I thought let's let's bring it in yeah, under yeah, the under yeah. the control. Thanks for that. So, guys, uh, really appreciate your time and uh, being part of this conversation. Thank you. Uh, we've come to the closing of this podcast, and I would like to thank all the listeners. And um, uh, from there on, uh, I wish you a very good day, and gentlemen. Thanks for having us, uh, Henrik. Yeah, thank you very much. Do you want to know more about securing your business and how to manage identities as part of your digital transformation? Contact us for an interactive KPMG knowledge session, including a Sevient product demo. Please check out kpmg.com slash cybersecurity. Next time, we will be talking about identity governance. See you then. KPMG CyberOps. Security solutions delivered.